you would take your Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 17. Come to this portion of the text of Scripture. I've been excited about coming to what is known by you, if you've read through the Gospels, the transfiguration of Christ. A couple of years ago, I was able to read a book by G.K. Beale, which is entitled, We Become What We Worship. We Become What We Worship. In that book, the the essential thesis of the book was that what we delight in, what we saturate ourselves in, uh, what we saturate ourselves with our own desires for, our love for, or even what we fear, uh, we tend to emulate those things. We are transformed in our own selves to become what we worship, which is what we love, fear, and desire. Uh, Paul teaches this principle over in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Where he says there, and we all with unveiled face, which means New Testament believers, those who have seen Christ, we have seen his resurrection. We with unveiled face, knowing that Jesus is the Son of God, the risen Savior, we beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. One of the things that I do as a pastor most often and certainly as a counselor is talk to people about how do we change. How do people change? How do you grow in your likeness to Christ Jesus? How is it that I can renounce sin in my life? How is it that I can take those things that are dominating my life and I can't seem to get through them, I can't seem to quit them, or things that I know that I need to be doing for Christ and I can't seem to start them, I I can't seem to stay consistent in my holiness. How do I grow in my likeness to Christ? When it seems so hard to just will it to happen, How do I do that? The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 3 says we do that as we behold Christ. And so one of the major things that I talk about in counseling, and certainly with many of you I've shared this very thing as we've talked about your own life, is how do you behold Him? How do you you view Christ? How do you see the beauty of Christ? And that is done in uh, shepherding and in this morning sermon because what I believe is that the more that you and I see Christ, The more that we see Him for who He is, the more that we'll become like Him. Because the more we'll love Him, the more we'll desire Him, the more we will fear, be in awe of His greatness. This morning we come to a text of Scripture that the Gospel pulls back the veil for us. Jesus pulls back the veil and shows His glory and majesty and dominion and power. And so I'm excited to bring you to to Matthew chapter 17 this morning because as you and I behold Christ, we become like him. So believers, behold our savior with me today as we come to Matthew 17, the transfiguration of Jesus Christ. We have gathered together to behold the glory of our king and thereby be transformed. Let me set the stage for you before we come into the text. Uh, The disciples had been with Jesus in his ministry for a little over two years. They've been listening to him, watching him, joining him in ministry. And they come to a major turning point in chapter 16, the climax of this section of the gospel, where Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? Peter, speaking on behalf of of the disciples, answers him the right answer, right? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. This is the climax. Finally, the disciples, there has 
has come from a follower of Christ the confession of who Jesus is. What Matthew has been writing to convince us of, the disciples now confess it on their lips. You are the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the Son of the living God. And so then he goes on in verse 21 of chapter 16. Jesus then, because of that confession, because they now know he's the Messiah, he begins to show them what it means to be Messiah. And in the midst of his showing them, he says, the Messiah must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the Sanhedrin, the the religious leaders there, and he's going to be killed. The disciples don't, I don't think, get past that moment when he says he's going to suffer and then he will be killed. And they think, how could you be Messiah? How could you be the one from God? Because the one from God is going to sit on the throne of David forever. The one from God is going to rule forever. Jesus, you just said you're going to be killed. I'm not sure you know exactly what Messiah means, Jesus. And that's the essence of when Jesus says this, Peter comes back and rebukes him. Jesus, you don't know what you're talking about. Far be it from you. You, This will never happen to you because we believe we've seen your power. You are Messiah. But Jesus, you might be messed up about what Messiah is. And so Jesus begins to teach them two things. And I want you to see this clearly because this is the theme of 16 and 17. And we need to understand it. To be the Messiah that God has sent to the world, it includes suffering and glory. The disciples see the glory and they glory in it. Oh, I can't wait. He is going to be king forever. They know the glory, right? It is glorious to be the king of a kingdom that will last forever. But Jesus says, before the glory comes the suffering. I will suffer many things and I will be killed. He does add there, and I don't think they ever hear that, and be raised on the third day. And then Jesus says something incredible. In verse 24, he says, And anyone that wants to follow after me, you too will suffer. You must take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. So not only will the Messiah suffer before glory, he says, if you want to be a follower, you will suffer as well. These are hard truths. This is not the kind of Messiah that they had in mind. And it's not the kind of life of following the Messiah that they had in mind. And let's be honest, it's really not the kind of life that you and I really have in mind in following Christ that we are going to suffer. Many people come to Christ and they love the forgiveness. They love heaven, right? Everybody wants to go to heaven. You ask anybody, you want to spend eternity? in heaven yes do you want to die to do so hold on just a minute you see we love the glory we're not so sure about the suffering and so to follow him it's devastating news the messiah will suffer and you will suffer he reminds them though in verse 27 of chapter 20 of chapter 16 verse 27 he reminds them at the end of last week's sermon that there is glory so in the midst of this suffering in the midst of the devastation of the messiah is going to be killed and you must take up your cross it's going to cost you life but the son will come and reign in glory there is glory so jesus has these themes I'm pushing you on the suffering, but reminding you of the glory. And so, as if that were just overwhelming to them, go to verse 28 with me. The Messiah, he's reminding them, will reign, he will judge all. And in that context, look at verse 28. Truly, I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. What Jesus is saying to them is there are some of you standing here. Who's there? The disciples. That's who he's teaching. And he says, some of you will not taste death before you see this glory. The Son of Man will come. He will reign in glory. And some of you are going to see that. And so, verse 
17, it, excuse me, chapter 17, it doesn't take us long. Matthew says, six days later, Jesus takes three of them up on the mountain. So not very long, some of them are going to do what Jesus says in verse 28 of chapter 16. They're going to see, listen, a preview of what is to come. This is God's habit. He did this through the Old Testament prophets. He's done it for us. We've seen a preview of what is to come. And he does it now for the disciples. And by the Spirit, the Matthew, the gospel writer, shows us this preview of Christ so that not only do these three disciples see the preview of what is to come, of Jesus' glory, of his reign, of his dominion, of the kingdom, Jesus being who he really is, you and I get to see that same preview this morning. We get to behold the King in His glory. So read the text with me. Matthew chapter 17. And after six days, Jesus took with Him Peter and James and John His brother and led them up to a high mountain by themselves. And He was transfigured before them and His face shone like the sun and His clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with Him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we're here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise. Have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, Then why do the scribes say that that first Elijah must come? He answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. This is the word of the Lord. In the few moments that I have left with you this morning, I want us to preview the majesty and glory of King Jesus together. This entire account in chapter 17, Matthew focuses on the experience of the disciples. So notice even in verse 1, Jesus took them and he led them up all through here when they behold it was when Jesus is transfigured in verse 3 excuse me in verse 2 it's done before them it's all told from the perspective of the disciples beholding King Jesus so this morning what I think that the Lord would want us to do in this text is for us to gather around and behold King Jesus together from the perspective of the disciples who are we looking for we get to experience this preview as well so let's behold our king together and I want to hang this passage on four pegs for you this morning if I can just to think through how we think about this passage I can't say everything that needs to be said about the passage I want to give you the four pegs and then uh, ask us will we behold him together and what does that mean so let me give you those quickly and walk through them four aspects of this experience that reveal the glory of God four aspects of this experience in Matthew 17 that reveal the glory of King Jesus. Number one, the transfiguration of Jesus reveals 
His glory. Look at verse 2. He was transfigured before them. The word transfigured there is just metamorphosis. You know the word. It means change. It is a word that you are familiar with. And so Jesus is changed. He does not go away from them to change. He does not get wrapped in a cocoon and change. He is changed right in front of them. He's metamorphosized. Jesus, the one that they are following, the one that took them up on the mountain, changes in front of them. How does he change? Look at it. His face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light you see Jesus in the earth walking among men was veiled in the flesh his deity had been veiled by his human flesh and so before them as they looked on the veil of the flesh was removed it was pulled back just a little that in the flesh he could see his flesh had veiled it, in this moment, the flesh was overshadowed, I believe, by His deity. And He was seen in the glory of who He is. And so in that, in the little glimpse that they get of who King Jesus is, and the glory that is His, and the glorious reign that He will have for eternity, the disciples look on in the only way that they could describe it, then reported to Matthew by the Holy Spirit, putting it before us, is that He's shone like the sun. Now you know if you go out on a bright day like today, you cannot look directly at the sun. His brightness, His radiance, His glory, Glory was such that they couldn't look exactly right into it. He is transformed into light. Now, this is where I'm going to have to shorten to get us there. If you go back through the Bible, you are going to find that when God's presence is there, there is light. Let me give you one example, especially here because I think this is pointing us there, and that's Sinai. When God's presence comes down on the mountain, the Bible describes it as light. Fire and cloud are on the mountain, and the people can't look, they can't hear, or excuse me, they can't bear to hear, they can't bear to look at that when the people leave out in the wilderness. God's presence is with them. How? By a pillar of fire. God is light and in them in him is no darkness which would come through the rest of the old testament said i wasn't going to do it but i'm gonna do it a little bit the shekinah glory of god is always given to us the the wonder of who he is is seen in light and here god's light is shown in christ why because he is God. When Moses at Sinai goes up to meet with God and the people say, you go meet with him on our behalf. They're terrified of God. Moses goes up and when he goes in there and when he goes in later to uh, the tent of meeting, when he comes out, his face is shining and they can't even look on him so that Moses wears a veil. And if Moses meeting with God, reflecting the light of God to the people has to wear a veil, what do you think it was like when Jesus is transformed, when the, the veil is pulled back off of him and his deity is seen and, and, and the disciples see that he is God? What do you think that light? You see, Moses was a reflection. They couldn't even look on him. Jesus is the actual God, the light. He was no reflection. He is the brightness of God. Peter, James, and John see the actual glory, the light of God, the heavenly glory that was Jesus on. It belonged to Jesus. What is this telling us? He is God. In the flesh, come down, look at His glory. Behold who He is. Yes, there's suffering. Don't let that trip you up. Here's who He really is. He knows what He's doing. He's God, and He's going to suffer. 
when John sees the glory of Jesus in the Revelation a little later, he is going to describe Jesus in glory just the same way. Revelation chapter 1 verse 16, he, his face shone like the sun. Why? Because Jesus is God and he will be God forever. In 2 Peter chapter 1, Peter's reflecting on this event. He focuses on the majesty and the glory and the honor of Jesus. And that impacted him here in Matthew 17 in this particular instance. Behold his majesty, church. He is the king of glory. But not only is Jesus revealed, Jesus' glory revealed here in his transformation that he is God. Those who appear with him here reveal his glory as well. This is where I'm going to have to be really precise, so listen carefully. When the disciples look, he's talking to two people, and it's Moses and Elijah. Why Moses and Elijah, and why them? What do we get from that? Moses and Elijah are both men who uh, their death was somewhat supernaturally shrouded or, or veiled in the Old Testament. Moses goes up on Nebo by himself. Elijah's taken up by God. They are come to be known as the deathless ones. Uh, as you think about both of them, they are then, because of that, kind of uh, seen as uh, uh, signs or symbols of the end time. So that, in, for example, in Malachi chapter 4, uh, the Bible says that before the great day of the Lord, before the end, Elijah will come. And so Elijah was known to come before the end. And so Elijah's here, and what God is saying is, Moses is here, Deuteronomy chapter 18, I will bring, I will send you, a prophet like Moses but greater than Moses and when he comes he will be the prophet so we've been waiting there's been anticipation for the prophet Moses there's been anticipation for when Elijah comes then the Messiah will come so here's the point both of these men are messianic symbols when they come the Messiah is here and the disciples are there they see Jesus and his glory and now they see Moses and Elijah and they see them there and they think this must be the Messiah. We have been waiting on him. They have no doubt. That's why Moses and Elijah are there because there's no doubt these men have to come. They are here and Jesus is a greater prophet than Moses. Moses is there. Elijah is the one who would come as the forerunner of the king. He's there. He has come. So Jesus, you are the Messiah. That's the point. There's much more to say about Moses and Elijah there, but let me just bring us to a little bit of a lighter point because in that moment, uh, Peter looks and he says, Lord, it's good we're here. Some commentators will say, man, it's Peter's saying, hey, let's just stay here. So I, I, let me make some tents for us. I'll make one for Moses, one for Elijah, one for you. R.T. France in his commentary, I think, uh, puts a good spin on this. He says, I think what Peter really is saying there is it's a good thing we showed up because we can make you a tent here. And so we want to be useful here. And so when, when Peter says, it's good we're here, he's saying, hey, I want to be useful to this. It's good I'm here because what I can do in the midst of this, I'll make a tent and you guys can all stay. And whatever that means, have you, I, I'll ask you this. Have you ever been so overwhelmed by something you said something really dumb? Right? Matthew doesn't say that that's a dumb statement here, but both Mark and Luke say Peter doesn't even know what he's talking about. You ever been so overwhelmed by something that you don't know what you're talking about and you just feel like there's an urge for me to say something at this moment? Peter maybe doesn't have a filter, and so when it comes in his head, it comes out his mouth. You know people like that. That's Peter here. And uh, so he just speaks up and says that to Jesus. And instead of making comment on this, here's Matthew. Here's what he's focusing on. Instead of making comment on that, Matthew shows what interrupts Peter 
And that's more important than even what Peter is saying and how dumb it is or why it's dumb. But just as an aside, I think one of the reasons it's dumb is he puts Peter, Jesus, and Elijah on the same level. Let me build a tent, one for each of you, and perhaps that's not what uh, we should be thinking about here. They are pointing to him. It's all about him, the one who is just transfigured in front of them. By the way, as another aside, you know what Elijah and Moses were talking about here? Remember, we got these twin themes, themes, suffering and glory. You know what they're talking about? Luke tells us this. They're talking about the crucifixion and the death that's impending of Christ. And so they hear this again. Suffering. Messiah will suffer. Even in the midst of seeing his glory, they see both of them. Nevertheless, he's interrupted. Verse 5. When he was speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from heaven or a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him brings us to our third point. So not only the transfiguration of Jesus, the testimony of Moses and Elijah, thirdly, the testimony of the Father reveals his glory. So in the midst of this, again, a cloud coming down. When we see a cloud coming down on Sinai, so what this, this event is kind of pointing us back and pointing us ahead. The cloud that comes down, it's a fiery cloud. God speaks out of it. The people fall on their faces. They say, Moses, we don't want to go to talk with this God. Why don't you go talk with him on our behalf? And so here, the cloud comes down and the voice says, same thing we saw in chapter 3, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And then he adds these three words, listen to him. Which I'll say loosely translated is, Peter, be quiet. Use your ears, not your mouth. Listen to the son of God. He is here. Listen to what he's saying. Listen to I must suffer many things and be killed and then I'll be raised on the third day. Listen to you want to follow me. You deny yourself. Follow after me. Take up your cross and follow me. Listen to suffering comes before glory. Listen to he will be killed. He will give his life because that is what he was sent to do. Listen to him. What he's telling you is the truth. This is the kind of Messiah that the Old Testament prophesied and that is here. The testimony of the Father reveals his glory. This cloud comes down, the voice speaks, and he says, you were right, Peter, this is my son, this is my son with whom I am well pleased, and now listen to him. They fall down, look at what it says, verse 6, when the disciples heard this, they do what they do at Sinai, they fall on their faces and were terrified. I think they're terrified and paralyzed and don't know what to do and can't move, and they're, they're just terrified, why? Because it's the voice of God. This is what happened. It's the voice of God speaking. So it's the testimony of Moses and Elijah. It's the transfiguration of Jesus. It's the testimony of the Father. This is God. Look at His glory. And church, if you and I were to see the extent of the glory that they saw in this experience, you and I would be terrified. We would be called to worship the Lord, to love the Lord, to long for nothing else. Our longings for the things of this world would grow dim and we would come as they would and fall down and be terrified. They're lying there, terrified, paralyzed. And I love verse 7, but Jesus walks over, he comes over and he touches them. Can you just imagine, terrified at this voice, this cloud has overwhelmed you. You've seen this conversation and then a cloud just kind of descends on you, you see nothing, you fall on your face and then Jesus puts his hand on your shoulder I've said this before when I was a young kid I went with my dad I was probably, I don't know, four or five I went with my dad on a trip and um, it was with the RAs, they were all older than me and it was Friday the 13th so you know what's happening on Friday the 13th especially you the matter of age you remember all the crazy Friday the 13th movies and some young 
high school boy that went on this trip uh, had brought the, um, the Jason mask. And I had already seen it, and I knew it was there. And, uh, but I'm four or five, and we're walking from the campfire back to the camp in the pitch black dark, and I know what is going to happen, and I cannot stand it. Uh, I don't think I wet my pants, but I was about that scared to wet my pants. All right, I was just terrified, and somehow my father uh, sensed that. I, maybe I was shaking visibly. I felt like I was, whether I was or not. But I was shaking visibly, and I will never forget to this day walking on that trail, my father walking behind me and putting his hand on my shoulder and saying, Son, I'm here. I'm walking right behind you. And I knew at the moment it was okay. Can you imagine being here and these men have seen the glory of God. They have been exposed to such glory that it terrifies them because they know, as Isaiah would know, we are undone. We have no hope. If you're the king, we need you to do something. And they're terrified. And Jesus just walks over and touches them and says, okay, don't fear. And they look up and it's just Jesus. No light. No Moses and Elijah. No cloud. It's Jesus. This incident will so change their lives. They saw a glimpse of the glory of their Savior who will reign forever. It makes the suffering. Paul will say, this light momentary affliction is nothing compared to the weight of glory that is ours in Christ Jesus. Behold your king. Very quickly, I've got to close. The fourth thing is they're coming down the mountain. They look up, it's just Jesus. They come back down the mountain. They start talking about Elijah. They've just seen him, so they ask about Elijah. And so the fourth thing I want you to see, and I'm going to have to just... Mention it and move on. There's a reminder of suffering in the midst of this glory. And the reminder of suffering reveals the glory of God because the glory is part, or the suffering is part of the glory. And so on the way back down, they say, um, he says, tell no one the vision. So Jesus reminds them of his impending death through this command, don't tell anyone until... I'm raised from the dead. He's reminding them of the suffering and the glory even in this command. And then the disciples say, then why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And Jesus says, paraphrased, Elijah has come. Not only the Elijah you just saw, you saw the Elijah, but Elijah has already come. And at the end of this, they understand it's John the Baptist. And Jesus reminds them of the suffering just like they did to him. What did they do? They killed him. I will suffer. Men, Messiah means suffering and glory. You want to follow me? Suffering and glory. Very quickly, turn over in your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. I want to close here. 2 Peter chapter 1. Peter, reflecting back on this incident as he writes to... Christians who are being persecuted. He says this to them in chapter 1, verse 16. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. 
Peter was there. He says, we were eyewitnesses. For when, we received, when he, Jesus, received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this voice, this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. By the way, isn't it interesting there that Peter doesn't, he doesn't even add the three words, listen to me. He knew what God was telling him to do, right? He doesn't have to repeat that. Verse 19. That's what we saw. We gave you a testimony, and it was from our experience of seeing what happened. We saw the, 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 the preview of the glory of God, verse 19, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you do, will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. What is Peter telling us? He said, I was there. I saw the preview, and we have a more sure word than what I saw on the mountain. What is it? It is the Word of Christ given by the Holy Spirit. Church, you have the Word of God which tells us there is a preview of the glory of God here. Behold the glory of the King. Behold the testimony of Elijah and Moses. Behold the prophecies of the Old Testament. Behold the law that points to the need for Him. Behold the temple which points to the sacrifice that He is. Every part of it pointing to Christ. But we have a more sure word. Why? Because Jesus did die. He did raise from the dead. And He's alive today. You've got a more sure word. Behold your King alive forevermore. And thereby Beholding Him, you will be transformed into His image. Stand with me, heads bowed and eyes closed. I want to call you this morning to behold your King. I want to call you in these moments as we pray together, as I invite you to this King to do a couple of things. First, I want you in these moments to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you, to challenge you, to help you know the risen Lord Jesus, that you would listen to, believe the testimony of what Peter calls the more sure word, that you know who Christ is because God has given us this revelation that tells us who He is, what He has done on your behalf, and what he will do we have seen a preview of what is to come listen what does this mean it means that Jesus died and rose again death has no sting for you so follow after this savior commit everything to him lose everything for him why because there is no fear in losing your life here because you will gain it there how do you know because he tasted death for you and he overcame it there is no sting of death There is no victory of death. You have salvation in Christ. Behold your King. Beg God in these moments to let you desire Him, love Him, view Him, see Him for who He is so that the things of your life, your ambitions, your goals would just grow dim to the one goal of pleasing the King, of living for Him of bringing Him glory. And then I want to ask you this. didn't even get here in the sermon. I'm going to trust the Spirit at this moment. What would you need to do today, this week, in your life, to behold Jesus?
which has everything to do with your life in the Word of God. How can you behold Jesus? You say, how can I change? Behold Jesus. How do I do that? Get into the sure Word. 